Hello, and welcome to the Artificial Intelligence in Drug Discovery podcast. My name is Simon Smith, and I'm your host. On this episode, I speak with Shai Shen Or, co-founder and chief scientist of Cytoreason. Cytoreason has created a machine learning model of the immune system. This model can integrate data from multiple sources to support drug discovery, the creation of diagnostic tools, and more. This interview opened my eyes to the complexity and variation of the immune system and its relevance for drug development. Why might one person get immunity from a vaccine and another see no benefit? Cytoreason's machine learning technology can tell you. In this episode, you'll learn about systems immunology, its potential in medicine, and how Cytoreason applies artificial intelligence to make sense of the growing body of immune-related data. This episode is brought to you by BenchSci. BenchSci uses artificial intelligence to reduce the cost of scientific experiments. Use it to find research antibodies up to 24 times faster than using PubMed or Google Scholar. Just enter a protein of interest and filter by technique, organism, tissue, or 13 other options. BenchSci returns only relevant published figures and products. It's free for researchers in academic and nonprofit institutions. You can sign up at BenchSci.com. If you work in industry, just use the contact form on BenchSci.com to reach out for a demo. And now, on to the interview. Hi, Shai, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Simon. So thanks for joining me. I want to start here with uh, a little bit of the, the problem that you're working on and understand a little bit more about why you're focusing on the immune system, why it's so compelling. You've referred to it or our understanding of the immune system as a black box. Can you go into a little bit more detail about why that is and, and uh, why this is an interesting problem for you? Oh, sure. Uh, it's a fascinating problem. Uh, the immune system is, is, is this uh, uh, huge um, uh, cellular system that kind of moves around our, our uh, bodies with a, um, in charge of what I would call uh, an emergent phenomena, which is to uh, provide us some kind of an immune response. And this is in the action of multiple cells working together to do so. It's not one cell that, that uh, does this uh, kind of uh, is responsible for this uh, important uh, critical component. Uh, and and it, it is so complex that our ability to actually understand it uh, up until a few years ago was, was predominantly uh, based on information uh, that was coming from mice uh, and actually collected in a very reductionist fashion. So we understand, uh, say, what a B cell does. We understand what a CD4 T cell does and so forth. And there are many, many different uh, cell types, each with its own unique uh, function. But how all this comes together to yield uh, a, a response uh, is actually very difficult to assess, even in a live animal, let alone a human, uh, where the environment kicks in. And this, this uh, system uh, is actually entirely uh, associated very closely with the environment. It's almost like a sixth sense. It, uh, it's responsible for monitoring the internal and the external environment uh, and adapting to it. Uh, and so it changes over time. It changes between individuals. Uh, and, 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 and yet it is important. It is plays a role in almost every, uh, possible disease. And so, uh, learning and understanding the immune system in humans is, is a, uh, tough problem and yet important one. Uh, and so I, I think from 
the perspective of how we understand it, and just to give you kind of, uh, I guess, an analogy to the human genome, imagine where we were uh, in 2003 before we had the first human genome sequence, uh, and you know how our understanding was of that the, you know, complex uh, uh, information. And, and yet, uh, once we actually had the first genome, and the equivalent in the, in, the, in the immune system would be understanding how the immune system works in a mouse, which we still have many, many open questions for. Again, similar to sequencing the genome, uh, understanding what, how variation plays a role uh, in the genome is, is something that we still uh, uh, do and, and uh, try and understand. And similarly with the immune system, we have a very kind of, uh, we kind of were just at the first steps of actually understanding the you know how variation in the immune system actually plays a role for for to yield protection and, and and how that affects from anything from drug responses to surgical procedures and and chronic diseases yeah and you gave a great example of that in one of your talks where you mentioned even the flu vaccine why is it that some people don't have a response to the flu vaccine so there's some very practical uh, implications of not understanding this. C can you give some other examples of some of the challenges there with not understanding this as well as we could? Uh, sure. So, I mean, if you're looking at the flu, uh, I think the numbers are currently about 150,000 uh, individuals per year in the U.S. Uh, actually die from the flu. Uh, if you're over the age of 65, there's about 40% chance you won't respond to the vaccine, as opposed to young individuals where we're talking over 90% responses. Uh, you'd like to actually predict ahead of time, uh, you know, who won't respond and who should be careful when hugging their grandchildren. Uh, you'd like to actually, <laughs> uh, you'd like to actually design vaccines that would actually help. Uh, this is not just uh, uh, information that would be relevant for flu or for, you know, elderly individuals, but in fact, if you go as to vaccines given in early childhood, uh, such as uh, the rotavirus vaccine, uh, I think in, in, say, the U.S., response rates are well above 90% for this in children. And, and yet if you go to places uh, such as Bangladesh, about 50% of kids respond to the vaccine. So, so, uh, and, and so that, that's a huge difference. And again, it doesn't even stop in vaccinations. Uh, your standard uh, kind of drugs that are uh, given for many, many diseases, responses, uh, for many of them are actually involved intimately with uh, manipulating the immune system in some aspects. Sometimes we know about this uh, because we've designed them this way and sometimes we figure out afterwards. Uh, and yet your average drug, uh, I think there's uh, about 40% uh, um, of individuals don't respond. It obviously varies a lot between indications and drugs. Uh, and so again, you'd like to actually be able to predict who responds or not the vaccine uh, or the drug um, and, and be able to design the next generation of uh, drug targets and, and drugs for these individuals. Uh, and the immune system is involved in all of this uh, type of information. Yeah, and another example that you've given that I think is also very powerful is in oncology with new immuno-oncology drugs. I, I think you, you said the stat, was it 20% uh, of, of response rate? And we, we don't fully understand why, is that correct? Correct. So again, it varies again by indication, but if you look at the blockbuster drugs in uh, melanoma, uh, the response rates for around that uh, type of percentages. Uh, and, and we don't yet know fully to predict who's going to respond or not to the drug. Uh, some, of, some of these cases are obviously you know, life-threatening and time is uh, of an essence. You'd like to actually tailor the drug to the patient. 
Uh, and all of these drugs actually wait, uh, work by manipulating the immune system, in this case, actually uh, activating it again in cancer. Um, and so understanding, you know, identifying biomarkers for who respond or not, and, uh, understanding the next generation of therapies or combination therapies, which will uh, activate the immune system and yet, for instance, not cause autoimmune disease simultaneously is of critical importance. Hmm. And all of these require a system level understanding of, the, of, of a very complex system, which traditionally we just don't have and certainly not in humans as I mentioned. Yeah, and I want to get into systems immunology in a second. But before that, that, you just sparked a question in my own mind, because I think that a lot of people, when they think about the immune system, they probably think of one immune system, just like everybody has a heart and a liver, and they tend to work the same way in most people. But from everything I've heard uh, you talk about, it seems like everybody, there's, no, there's no, no two immune systems are the same. Uh, is that correct? And do we understand the factors even that make that the case? I, I believe, I would, I would actually say this is, uh, it's an open question. I, I, again, I would give the analogy to the genome. We basically have the same genome, right, uh, between individuals, and yet it is highly different and is going to affect, the, uh, you know, from, from a clinical perspective, it has huge implications. So, you know, compared to the mouse, all humans have a similar immune system. It is actually quite different from the mouse. Um, um, but the variation between us as individuals is quite large. And the reason for this is, uh, we suspect, is, uh, well, I guess uh, on two counts. One is, again, as I mentioned, uh, this is a system that monitors the environment. And so if we if you say you and I live in a different environment, we're going to end up, even if we started with the exact same immune system, uh, actually in very different places. You know, every, every event in your life, and we have endless such events in which the immune system has responded to what happens, bugs in the environment, you know, chemicals and so forth, alters your immune system to some extent. Uh, and so over time, we actually diverge quite a lot. Um, the, one of the interesting things we've found is actually that that variation even exists at, at a very early uh, stage in life and even in birth just based on the genetics of our immune system. This is a system that has thousands of genes involved in it, uh, and genetic variants which exist in the population uh, normally actually yield um, systems that actually look uh, to some extent different. And, and again, we do not fully yet understand uh, what this would mean uh, from the clinical implications, but, but it's quite clear that there are. We have some interesting findings already uh, based on biomarkers and so forth that the state of your immune system uh, it's actually predictive for uh, clinical uh, events. Hmm. And so you could almost predict from very early ages whether, let's say, a child might be likely to develop an autoimmune disorder or not have responsiveness to certain vaccines and so on. So that brings us, I think, to systems immunology. Can you explain what systems immunology is and, and what it is uh, analyzing, sort of the, the, the variables that it's analyzing and how many of them there are and how they're interacting? Uh, sure. Um, complex question. I'll try to give a simple <laughs> answer. So, <laughs> yeah. so this, is, uh, this, is, uh, you know, this is a system. It, it's all about interactions of cells. And uh, I think for the past, uh, past decade or so, we've been developing uh, quite quickly uh, the, uh, the ability to measure comprehensively different layers of the system. So think about uh, from a, uh, say, genome perspective, you know, we think about having one genome, but of course, T cells and B cells each have their own specificity, specificity in their own genetic 
uh, you know, TCR and BCR sequences or areas that allow them to, for cells to identify specific, um, uh, specific antigens, specific um, uh, external perturbations that the uh, system will need to respond to. Beyond that, we, the immune system actually has uh, a large number of cells, uh, probably over 300 or so different cell types, each of which has its own function. We now have uh, a measurement hardware that allows us to quantify in a, from a single blood drop all those different types of cells. Uh, those cells respond differently to different stimulations. We can, we can measure those uh, uh, stimulation responses. Um, and then beyond that comes all the expression of mRNA and proteins that each one of those cells does, which is going to be different. Uh, it's different between different tissues and so forth. The system is actually this, uh, you know, um, liquid state system that moves around. And so actually monitoring it from blood or getting a biopsy sample uh, is, is two different things. Uh, and so we essentially have, de have developed the capability of actually measuring the system at red and, and and allows us suddenly to, to be able to see the system level understanding where as before we didn't have the high dimensional tools that allowed us to, to see in one single shot uh, all the different cell types, all the different genes and so forth. Uh, and this has opened huge opportunities, uh, but, but also uh, great and somewhat frustrating challenges of being able to really harness uh, all this uh, new uh, kind of data revolution and being able to get actually a very good sense of what's going on and, and you know, develop a true system level understanding. It's, it's interesting because I hear now that I've, I've done a couple of these podcasts, I hear some of the same themes recurring. And we, I think a lot of people look at some of the, the startups in this space in AI and drug discovery, and they think like, oh, these people have an algorithm and they're trying to apply that to the data. But what I hear more and more from companies that, that are gaining a lot of traction and success is it's the other way around. We've generated a lot of data and we don't have the ability to analyze it except with tools like machine learning. And so I've seen that with metabolomics uh, on the last podcast with Leila Perhaji from uh, RevivMed. And now it sounds like a very similar theme here. So is that the case? Is it that we got really good at generating data related to immunology and we just didn't have the tools to be able to look at that data and analyze all the features and how they interact. And now we now have the technology. Is that why you know a company um, like yours is able to? It has now seen like able to seize this opportunity. Uh, I I, I would say it's partially the case. Uh, so certainly we have we you know the data revolution is here, and we are able to generate on any kind of single experiment uh, unbelievable amounts of data, uh, and that 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 does pose uh, challenges and opportunities that. Uh, uh, companies such as Cytoreason um, are, are kind of uh, benefiting from or kind of using to uh, come in and, and help out with understanding this data. Uh, but I, on the other hand, I wouldn't say that we're at a point, given the complexity of the system, that you know the data is pouring and it doesn't actually has to do with the data. The, the data here, we, we actually are still, um, I guess, hungry for more data. Uh, and, and so I think it's really the combination of being able to to see a lot of data from a variety of different experiments and conditions and one of the nice things about the immune system is you can think about any disease and every individual is as, as looking at the uh, data from a slightly different angle uh, and coupling that with uh, algorithms on one side uh, as well as uh, I would say um, uh, biologist expert immunologist in our case uh, 
who are actually looking at this information from a new light and, and kind of uh, helping make sense of it. Uh, it. It's not, I don't think this is, you know, just data or just algorithms uh, or like old school biologists. It's actually the combination of, of the three that actually gives uh, the high quality results that one uh, wants to get to, given the investment in terms of being able to generate this data. Mm-hmm. So that does bring me then to cytal reason. What specific part of this problem are you tackling? So, so cytal reason uh, is focused on uh, essentially is an AI company focused on uh, building a machine learning um, of the immune system, machine learning system of the uh, of the immune system, uh, and because because we think it's critical for disease, because we think uh, actually understanding this system is. Uh, is difficult uh, otherwise, and that we need to combine both data and algorithms to, to do so. And it, we're using this uh, model uh, for informing uh, drug development decisions. Uh, so uh, really making uh, the impact by data-driven decision-making on you know, where to go next in terms of biomarkers, target indications, um, and kind of indication expansion or new novel targets identification. Yeah, and I think one of the examples that was very relevant to me because I've worked in uh, that disease category and in inflammatory bowel disease, <clears throat> can you talk a little bit about the application there uh, relative to treatments in, in that space and, and what you were able to discover? Oh, sure. So, so, um, so what we did there is this is a paper we published in GUT a few months back uh, in April, I believe. Uh, and it addressed a problem that exists in, in, uh, in actually quite a few uh, cases, as I mentioned, of drug responses. A significant number of patients are actually not responding to treatment um, in the case of IBD. And, and we were looking at anti-TNFs and, and infliximab in particular. Uh, we we're talking about 30% of patients uh, where the current uh, standard of, of uh, therapy is that they get the drug in about three and a half months. Uh, post the first treatment, uh, there is a clinical decision whether the patient will respond or not. Uh, and what uh, reason uh, and, and uh, uh, the reason approach to this is actually to say, okay, let's get data. In this case, we just took uh, academic data from uh, kind of publicly available um, uh, gene expression data in the public domain uh, that was uh, generated about in 2009, I believe. Uh, three different data sets. Uh, all of them relatively small, uh, where biopsies were collected from the gut of IBD patients, uh, and where response data, whether they responded or not to infliximab, was available. Uh, and what we were able to show uh, was that we could, we could essentially predict who will respond or not uh, to the treatment in baseline, both from biopsy data and from blood, uh, by uh, taking the kind of original gene expression data and uh, looking at it in a slightly different angle, and, and this is really kind of at the core of what Cider Reason does, is to say uh, biology, and particularly the immune system, is all about cells and how cells interact. Uh, and for the past 20 years, uh, genomics has been giving up lists of stuff, right? lists of genes and so forth. Uh, to really make sense of such a complex system, we need to be able to think about the data naturally, um, and naturally would be cells interacting so uh, we, one of the technologies we've been developing are a variety of different statistical deconvolution procedures which allow us to uh, ingest uh, data into the system where uh, we, for instance, in the case of gene expression, be able to 
both estimate the frequency of different uh, cells or the composition of the tissue in which the measurements were actually taken and also infer uh, what, uh, which genes actually uh, are associated with it, are expressed in each one of the different cell types. In this particular experiment, we're able to show that at baseline, before actually getting the treatment, individuals who don't respond to the treatment uh, would have higher levels of plasma cells and macrophages, two different immune cell types in the biopsy, uh, in, suggesting that they actually have a different immune state at baseline. And uh, in, in, in following that, we're able to show that these individuals who don't respond to the treatment uh, have an upregulated pathway, uh, which, which uh, at baseline before getting the treatment, uh, which we could also detect. Um, in blood in an external validation cohort. In fact, we used three different validation cohorts to show that what we could infer computationally does hold uh, and is robust uh, when, when looking at real-life patients from the clinic where in some cases uh, we took uh, samples even two years prior uh, to the patient actually getting the treatment. Uh, Which, so, sorry. No, I was just going to say, having, again, worked in that disease state, that could be a very significant tool because there are alternative biologics now and an increasing number of alternative biologics um, that, uh, that have a different mechanism of action. And so if you could identify the patients early who should maybe just start on one of those, that could be significant. Uh, have, have, have there been any attempts to bring your solution, uh, your findings to uh, something to the market that can be used in a patient setting? Right. So well, we are working on this. There's uh, quite a lot of interest. Uh, and, and looking at this, but nothing I can uh, talk about yet. Sure. Um, but, let me know uh, when you general, can. <laughs> sorry? Let me know when you can. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, but I, I would say that uh, this problem is more generalizable, and we are working on it uh, because you can imagine, uh, you know, if we talk about states of the immune system, you can think about this as an entire landscape uh, whose rationale we need to understand uh, and th so that we can tailor treatments. Uh, specifically to patients. And then this is another advantage of working at the immune system level. Uh, a lot of what we call precision medicine is all about, you know, kind of genetic variants and so forth. But the immune system is an almost an epigenetic layer, right? Mm -hmm. This layer that sits on top and it already incorporates all the genetic information and the environment. And in the end, it is what actually, in the case of immunotherapies, um, you know, is the make or break on whether a patient will respond. And so, by working in this layer and being able to map the landscape, I'm uh, hoping we'll be able to provide many such solutions, uh, whether uh, to clients or, or in patients. Could you talk a little bit, and you don't have to go into too much detail because of course what you're doing is proprietary and you're probably not the guy who's actually working on all the engineering aspects, but could you give listeners an, an idea of how it works, what the steps are and, and how it all comes together to produce a result? Uh, sure. Um, I, I've, been, I've been involved in quite a lot of engineering early on, side of reasons growing, but, um, but basically what we uh, do is um, uh, we've, uh, the side of reason model has ingested essentially all the kind of uh, the data that's available in the public domain and all the uh, literature that's available. Uh, we actually had a, a paper in Nature Biotech of the academic version of, of a uh, immune-centered uh, natural language processing engine recently. Uh, as a starting uh, point. And then what we do, and we've been doing this now for quite a while, is as we uh, uh, take this information in uh, and uh, start seeing uh, new uh, information coming in from clients, which is proprietary data, 
uh, what we the, the process essentially is to take in a data set, uh, transition it or ingest it into a cell-centered view, where instead of having, say, lists of genes and so forth, we suddenly have this, this uh, kind of uh, natural way of thinking about the system where we have, here's the cells in each one of the samples, these are what the cells are expressing, uh, this is how the cells are interacting, and this information gets ingested into a model of all the data that we've seen to date. Uh, and and the, the, uh, the integration of these information allows us to learn uh, and boost the information from the uh, kind of client data that we've, uh, that we've uh, seen uh, to then uh, you know, kind of in an iterative fashion re uh, report results, which we can uh, you know, play around with, and in the end yield um, a, a specific outcome for the question at hand. Uh, the questions can go from things like mechanism of action or biomarkers to uh, you know, uh, indication expansion or, or anything else that really uh, pharma is wondering about. Um, and and we can, we, we've done, been able to do so, we've seen enough data now that we've actually a, are able to answer questions even when no data is available. Hmm. Right? So from a perspective of a, uh, say, if I would want to target uh, uh, gene X, what would I imagine happening, right, from a perspective of the immune system? Those are questions that are not trivial to do, uh, but uh, given the, the cell-centered view, which is very kind of tied to the biology, uh, one can uh, build a, uh, kind of a simulation or expectation of what, what would happen uh, for a given patient population, a given indication. But are there are there particular applications that you you see the industry approaching you about, or particular areas of interest where people feel like the technology has the most near term promise? Uh, yes, uh, the biggest places we've seen interest have been in uh, INI, so immunity and inflammation diseases, including uh, IBD, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, and so forth. Where, uh, uh, as you said, you have uh, you've played around as well. Uh, and then the immuno-oncology, of course, uh, where, uh, for instance, we are supporting the Parker Institute uh, for Cancer Immunotherapy, which is one of the you know, largest nonprofits for looking at uh, uh, immunotherapy outcomes and so forth in clinical trials. Great. And, and what's your vision of, of where you can take this? What do you think the future holds for the work that you're doing and how it might evolve over the next few years? So it's a wonderful question. Uh, I think we can, as we kind of, the, our, the amount of data grows and our ability to actually build a kind of a full machine learning model of the immune system uh, expands, uh, we'll be able to move not just from kind of answering specific questions of, of you know, the client on, on uh, uh, target uh, discovery or biomarkers and so forth, and start over time being able to tailor this uh, to specific situations which are precision medicine for a particular uh, uh, individual uh, needing to uh, get a treatment almost like a consumer level product that I don't you know I don't I see this in the near future there's still a lot of data that needs to happen but as more more information gets accumulated we'll be able to grow this and make decisions that are much more on the spot of say physicians wanting to treat an individual and, and given that you understand the landscape choose the right drug suggest what the outcome would be uh, uh, and, you know, kind of tailor a particular treatment for a patient hmm. uh, as well as side effects and so forth. So uh, personalized medicine at the immune system level. Yes. And I should say, um, you know, I, I keep talking about the immune system, but one nice 
advantage of this procedure where you're focused very much on understanding what happens to the immune system is that you, by doing so, you actually make a decoupling of what is happening to the immune system from the rest of physiology. And so that signal of how the immune system kind of mixes in and many of the measurements that individuals do allows us to actually, by decoupling, we're able to actually understand much better what is happening to the diseased tissue outside of the immune system. So it also informs that information as well. Interesting. That's great. I don't want to take too much of your time, but I do want to make sure I covered everything that you wanted to talk about here. Is there anything that I have missed that you think listeners should really know? Um, so, so I, I think, uh, I guess from my perspective, uh, you know, that, that I think there, there is a, uh, great opportunity here in terms of, uh, you know, this data revolution of being able to measure the immune system. Um, and, and from a perspective of a company like Cider Reason, uh, to be able to actually, uh, give informed, uh, decision-making on, on, uh, on kind of the development of in a data-driven way on the development of a drug, uh, that that information I, I I think is you know we've had uh, quite a few successes of this uh, so far uh, and it's quite amazing I, I think uh, how uh, that level of kind of drilling being able to drill down to this information and putting the biology the the omics back into a natural state is something that that gives value back and so uh, I think that's maybe a point I'd like to uh, emphasize. And to follow up that point, which is a good one, where can people learn more? You, I know you, you had a, a paper that came out, as you mentioned, in Nature Biotechnology. Just There was an announcement, I believe, this week. Uh, and so that would be one place where people could learn a little bit more. Where else can people learn more about you and the company? Uh, so, uh, good question. Uh, the company has a website, cytoreason.com, uh, and our uh, uh, head of uh, commercial operations, uh, Richa Ked, uh, you know, kind of can follow up with anyone interested. Uh, from an academic perspective, I'm also a faculty member at uh, Technion, where I uh, lead a uh, systems immunology and precision lab, uh, precision medicine lab. Uh, and so uh, I'm also reachable uh, as an individual through there. Um, and, and, and more publications are actually going to be coming up in, I think, the next few months. And so uh, information to be tracked on. We'll keep an eye out for them. Shai, thank you so much for your time. I, I know you must be very busy with Cyto Reason and your academic position. So I appreciate it greatly. And I look forward to tracking your progress. Thank you very much, Simon. You just listened to my conversation with Shai Shen Or of Cyto Reason. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you want to catch future episodes, be sure to subscribe. Just look for Artificial Intelligence and Drug Discovery in your favorite podcast player. Then hit the subscribe button. Until our next episode, be well and work smart.